0: Welcome back to another edition of The Friday Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and this episode is brought to you by ourselves. So we're having a Black Friday sale that is this Friday at our Pro Shop on our website. So you can find it at proshop.thefrideegg.com, and it's an automatic 20% discount off of everything. That includes hats, shirts, head covers, Tervis tumblers, but I wanted to talk specifically about our photography prints. So these are drone shots of great golf courses. Most of the shots were taken by Andy Johnson. You can get them framed or mounted on metal. We've got pictures of Ballyneal, Sand Valley, Prairie Dunes, Pasatiempo. And we've got a ton of new ones on the way. They look great. I've got one on my wall myself and, and they make really good gifts. So. This Friday, November 27th, 20% off the whole store, including our prints. That's at the Pro Shop, proshop.thefrideegg.com. All right, so on with our episode. Um, My guest today is Matt Corshane. Along with his brother, Will Corshane, Matt founded Data Golf, which you can find at datagolf.com. So Data Golf is, is really part of what has been a revolution in golf over the past couple of decades. And that has been this infusion of advanced data, statistics, and analytics into golf, especially golf at the highest professional levels. Now, part of that story is Shotlink, which provides a great deal of raw data that simply wasn't available in the 1990s. And another part of it is the advent of strokes gain statistics, which were pioneered by the Columbia Business School professor Mark Brody. And basically what Strokes Gained does is it compares a player's performance to the rest of the field shot by shot. And in this way, you can really isolate the value or quality of each shot a player hits. Now in Strokes Gained, with each shot, the player gains or loses a certain amount on the field. And and what this has done is it's just given us a much better way to analyze the different skills that a player has. We really have a better idea of who the great drivers and iron players actually are because we've been able to zero in on the quality of each strike of the ball. But, you know, strokes gained is, is like still in its infancy, and, and it's just begun to shift our understanding of golf, I think. We're, we're just scratching the surface. And and that's the exciting arena in which DataGolf is working right now. Matt and Will Corshane are, are very young, but but also very qualified, and, and they're doing a lot of interesting work. One of the things that I think DataGolf could change is how we view golf courses and golf course design. Now, I, I always think that golf course design will be an art, and assessing golf course design will be an art as well. You know, no no data, I don't think, can tell us if a golf course is good, but it can definitely tell us how data can definitely tell us how different tournament venues demand different skill sets from players. And, and I find that to be a really compelling question. And so that's what I wanted to talk with Matt Corshane about, because Data Golf, the, the website that he and his brother have developed, has some great tools that use strokes gained data to tell you something about the golf courses on the PGA Tour. Specifically, this week's host um, of the Mayakoba Golf Classic, El Camaleon Golf Club, outside of Cancun, Mexico, is is one of the biggest outliers in data golf's model. It's such a strange course. It it just demands this extremely unusual type of performance from the top players. So I thought it was a good time to get at a question that I've had for a long time with the help of Matt Corshane. What can statistics tell us? about golf course architecture on the PGA tour. Hope you enjoy. I miss a green for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a Fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. (laughs) So just to find out a little bit about your background in golf, uh, you were a pretty excellent golfer. You got down to a scratch handicap. You played some college golf at Queens University. As a competitive golfer, did data ever enter your life?
1: No, it really didn't. Yeah, I wasn't logging like the strokes game stats or anything. I was not a, and I'm still not. I'm very much a, I mean, I'm a of vivid head case on the golf course now. I think <laughs> I'm very much a field player, I guess I would say. I'm not like a, yeah technical robotic player by any
0: means that's an interesting contrast to me so like if if data were you know some of these analytics were around back then but they just weren't as commonly used i guess especially at the college golf level do you think anything would have changed for you
1: looking back when i was actually a serious player and didn't have because honestly the way i think about it now is i just have on the list of the top 10 things i need to improve in golf understanding how to better use data is pretty far down that list i need to stop like blocking my opening t-ball OB before I start uh, worrying about that stuff but like yeah no back in the day when I was good it would be yeah it'd be super informative just to get the basic numbers like the strokes game stuff just using Brody's app like just understanding where you're losing strokes is super valuable and I think it's often for most people it's counterintuitive I think probably a lot of people would and myself included would probably realize they're losing most shots like on the long game whenever you play poorly you're always thinking about all these putts you missed etc but Really, everybody misses a lot of putts. So I think, yeah. I, yeah but anyway, to answer the question, yeah, I think I would have taken advantage of this stuff if it was more easily accessible in 10 years
0: ago. Well, hearing golfers talk about it, it's almost like in addition to providing knowledge, these stats sometimes provide a kind of peace of mind. Like, you know what's wrong. Yeah. Or, 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 or you can contextualize your bad performances as just like, th- this is what happens. You know, it's not a judgment on me as a, as a player. This is just what happens.
1: Yeah, and it's also, I kind of think that is the right way to think about it because it's also debatable how, like, actionable this stuff is. Like, if I find out that I am lacking, well, if I'm losing small, a good example, if I'm losing strokes off a tee, it's like, okay, like, yeah, if I hit it farther, that'd be great. But, I I mean, there are examples of players who have, like, Dylan Fratelli last week was getting a lot of attention for He's not a, you know, a massive guy, and he managed to pick up some some club head speed. So there are things you can do. But I've always thought, I think my brother and I have always thought that Yeah, it's more like descriptive. It's nice to know where you're losing strokes and what what is the difference between myself and like the number one player in the world. But I don't know how actionable a lot of it is.
0: So right now you're doing a PhD at the University of British Columbia in economics. Uh, Where did your interest in economics come from?
1: So my grandfather is well, he's still alive. He was a pretty stopped working, but he was a pretty well known economist. So there was always that connection. I actually did my undergrad in in biochemistry which was hmm. I mean I was just a classic I just went to university not really knowing what to do and was like oh I mean why not medical school like that sounds reasonable it's embarrassing looking back on it but then I eventually realized I think I took a few econ courses and just sort of liked the general approach to things just using statistical methods which are particularly the ones that are like prominent in economics just using those as a way to understand the world is it's just changed the way I think about a lot of things, and I've really become—I really enjoy looking at the world through that lens.
0: So, at some point, you combined your background in golf with your interest in statistics and informed data golf. How did the idea for data golf come about?
1: Well, I guess the first thing I should say is I so data golf is run by myself and my younger brother Will, who's he's, so he's two years younger. Um, yeah, he was working at that point, and I was just in my second year of the PhD. So this is like four or five years ago. And then the P- yeah the PGA Tour used to have an academic program where you could access the Shotlink data for free. And so we got that data and we just started, uh, yeah, we just started a Twitter account, started a WordPress blog, and started doing some basic analyses with the data. Trying to just sort of answer, uh, it's funny to look back, we still have all these blogs somewhere on our old website. It's funny to look back on them, but yeah, just answering questions like, do players, in fact, because there the, there's the same where, you know, if you shoot a really good round, it's hard to follow it up. So we were sort of just, Checking the degree to which that's false or true. And yeah, and then it sort of just progressed from there.
0: Right, for sure. So it it's really evolved well past the, the original blog. So the original Data Golf blog was basically a WordPress, basic WordPress blog. And now it's this very complex website with not only blog posts, but a number of predictive models and interactive tools that kind of make sense of the, the huge amount of data that's coming out of professional golf right now. And so I, I wanted to focus actually on the, the interactive tools and, and visualizations. So, you know, to someone like me, I find these very useful and very informative. Um, just in general, how, how do you decide what kinds of tools to build?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of the tools come naturally out of the model that we have so really like the centerpiece of the website and what we do with data golf is this predictive model we have of of golfer performance where essentially the output of that model is we're trying to like ultimately what matters in golf is strokes gained how many strokes you're beating the field by so that's ultimately what we're trying to predict with this model and along the way there will be things that i don't know sort of pop out of the model that we can make into a web page so a good example is true strokes gained so true strokes gained is It's regular strokes gain, which is how many strokes you beat the field by, except we're going to adjust that for the strength of that field. So
0: Hmm.
1: for example, on the web.com, if you, we estimate that those fields are like a shot worse on average than PJ tour fields. So if you beat a web.com field by two shots, that's going to be worth like a true strokes gain of one, because we're saying this field is one shot worse than average. So that's something that sort of comes out of our model. Another example of a page would be the course history stuff or the course fit tool we have that output in our in our model and at some point we say, well, this is interesting. I think general golf fans would like this. Let's turn it into like an intuitive page that people can, can get something out of. So that's where that's where a lot of them come from.
0: So I did want to dig a little bit deeper into what you call the the course fit tool because I, I think it does have a lot to say about what one of our primary interests at the fried egg is. And that's golf course design and setup and how design and set up influence play on the professional tours. But I, I mean, I think maybe before getting into course fit specifically, maybe we should lay the groundwork with this related, but very different notion of course history. Can you tell me what course history is and some of the issues that you've had with it?
1: Yeah. So course history in the most general sense is just how a player has performed at a specific course in the past. And then the way we analyze it is not just how, like a player has performed in an absolute sense at a course, because, for example, Tiger. If you just define course his, a player's course history as just their total strokes at that course, then somebody like Tiger is going to have the best course history everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, course history, the way we define it, is performance relative to expectation or baseline. So, and by expectation or baseline, that's going to be intuitively that's like how a player performs across all courses in a given year. That's going to be like the, their baseline. So it might be they might be a plus one strokes gained player. And then if there's a specific specific course, say, Augusta National, where they performed at an average of plus two strokes gained, um, we're going to say they have good course history there because they performed uh, above their baseline. The, the main issue with course history in terms of trying to use it for actionable things like predicting performance is that it's generally a small sample. If a guy has only played four rounds of the course and he's played really well, maybe he won the tournament, which is not, not too uncommon. Um, what can we really say from that like from our analysis we found like if a guy is performing one stroke better than expected at a course historically we're only going to improve his predicted performance going forward by maybe like two or three percent per round let's say so well if he's if he's done that for four rounds we would probably bump up his predicted skill by like 0.05 strokes if he's been one stroke better so it's a pretty small adjustment but those things can matter
0: yeah it it seems like your opinion on this has has shifted a little bit over time, but the general critique of how maybe the lay person uses course history is still valid you know when when you hear people talking about how a certain player has done well at a course in the past and is using that fact to say this player will definitely do well this week at the same course that that's a vast oversimplification of how things actually work, right.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, In in general, making strong claims about predicting performance in golf is a bad idea, just because there's so much, there's so much uh, randomness in golf, as we like, even just last week, like, like Bryson losing to Langer at Augusta, like obviously this is a very unexpected outcome, but those things happen in golf. So, but to your point about us changing our opinion, that's definitely true. I mean, when we first started out on Twitter, we were more maybe brash and like combative i guess to some degree and we we took a pretty hard stance on course history saying it didn't matter but i think we've definitely softened that there are just examples like phil uh, augusta he now has like he's played like so many rounds there like like 60 70 rounds and he's averaging almost a shot better than than expected at augusta which is a huge that's a huge difference and it can't be you can't just wave that away by saying oh that's just randomness that's pretty meaningful so yeah course history when you get big samples can matter for sure
0: uh, now, so course history can matter a little bit. There's there's a small adjustment that you can make for a player's course history when you're trying to predict their performance in a given week. It seems to me that course fit, in a lot of ways, makes up for some of the deficiencies of course history. Is that basically right?
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely right. You get you sort of with so with course fit, what we're going to look at is which uh, skills a given course favors so like the skills we're going to focus on are driving distance driving accuracy and then stroke game putting around the green approach and by focusing on skills you kind of bypass the sample size problem so if we know through our fancy statistical methods that augusta favors people hit it further then even if there's a guy who a first time around augusta uh, so we have no course history data on him but if we know he hits it above average distances we can use course fit to make some judgments about how he's going to perform at that course so yeah, by focusing on characteristics instead of specific players, which is what you do with course history, course fit can be a lot more meaningful, yeah, because you don't have you have a we have a ton of data to estimate how how much driving distance is favored at Augusta. We can use every player to understand that.
0: Right, yeah. So course fit just basically defined is is kind of the degree to which a given golf course favors a specific skill set. Right? And those uh the skills that you measure are, you know, maybe you can help me out here, driving distance, driving accuracy, strokes gained approach, strokes gained around the green, and strokes gained putting. Yeah, Yeah. Those are the kind of the five skills that you measure when you're assessing whether a course kind of fits a particular kind of player. So has anything kind of jumped out and surprised you since you started looking at course fit?
1: I think the, I mean, the, the main takeaways, I think, from course fit are like, with the data that we have, it seems like the way that cor- the way that PGA, PGA Tour courses differ is along the dimensions of how much they favor driving distance and driving accuracy. Certainly we can make intuitive arguments for why different courses favor putting or around the green. But I think the reality is like the data, especially with putting, it's just so, there's so much variance that it's hard to, it's hard to really say whether or not a course favors putting more than the average. And that's sort of reflected in the tool. I think, I guess my take like I think I was a bit surprised maybe how still important again there are a lot of caveats here but how important driving accuracy is just Mm because there is the narrative of I mean this is how I'm looking at it somebody else could look at it and say oh I'm surprised how much that distance is the uh the most favored skill and just for people who aren't looking at this this thing basically the hierarchy is the way we have it is basically distance at the average course has the most predictive power along with approach strokes and approach and then it sort of goes I guess driving accuracy putting around the green are all pretty Uh, similar around the green is probably the smallest, but that's sort of the the hierarchy. And then there's all sorts of interesting things at specific courses that you could get into.
0: Yeah. And we'll get into that a a little bit in a minute here. Um, but, uh, first maybe you could just describe the course fit tool, um, a little bit. I, I think people should go and see it. The visualization is, is really simple and effective, and it would be probably hard to describe over, over the radio, basically, what it looks like. But could you just tell me basically what the course fit tool is and, and how you built it?
1: So the course fit tool, it's essentially what we're, we're just trying to visualize, as you said earlier, the degree to which each course on the PJ Tour favors each skill. And so what we have on it is a basically we have these shapes. Each shape represents the degree to which the course favors five skills. And so we have the average PJ Tour course on there. And you can sort of easily see when we overlay another course on top of that, whether or not that overlay course favors distance more than the average course, same with accuracy, et cetera. And yeah, like, I don't know if we want to get into the, like, the details of how these numbers are actually calculated is, it's somewhat complicated, but the, the, the intuitive, all we're really doing with this tool is, like if you take driving distance, for example, we're gonna, before each event that's played on the PGA Tour, or each round, we're gonna have an estimate of every player's driving distance and every player's driving accuracy, et cetera. And it, To estimate how much a course favors driving distance, we're basically just gonna compare two players, and this is important, two players who are similar in every dimension except distance. So there's one player say that hits it 10 yards further than the other. So we're gonna take those two two players, compare their strokes gained in that round. And then you do that many times and eventually you're able to say, okay, if you hit it 10 yards further than somebody, that translates into whatever, 0.3, 0.4 strokes gained per round over that person, holding everything else fixed.
0: And it's and it's very, you know, the, the visualization makes this very clear because it's an octagon, basically, right? There are five skills, so there are there are five points on the octagon. And if one point is a little bit farther out than the others, then you can see quite quickly, okay, this this course tends to prefer that skill. Um, and as you were indicating earlier, the most dynamic skills, the ones that seem to vary the most, are driving distance and driving accuracy. Uh, from course to course, the others are are fairly constant, though with with some uh, significant exceptions. Um, so this is a, it's a really interesting tool. I use it all the time, and and to be clear, you know most people probably use this as a predictive tool, right? To to say, hey, the course this week seems to be a good fit for player X, so I'll go ahead and place a bet on player X. But I'm definitely not like the usual data golf user, I don't think. Um, I'm I'm a lot more interested. I don't bet. I, I'm really risk averse that way. So I'd, it's like I've never placed a bet on a golf tournament. Um, but uh, I, I'm more interested. The reason I look at this stuff is that I'm really interested in considering what something like this can tell us about courses on the PGA Tour and the skills that those courses prioritize and i know that you know all this stuff is there's always the caveat that data is noisy and and we can't draw any super firm conclusions about any given course or any given trend in pga tour course design and setup from it but but there there are some really interesting things in here that i can't help but think can tell us something about course architecture as it relates to pga tour players performance so you know just to start at one end of the spectrum what does the course fit tool tell us about Beth Page Black, which is uh, what's the host of the 2019 PGA Championship? It's it's on one end of the spectrum uh for this tool, right?
1: Yeah, so Beth Page according to our stuff is yeah, it favors driving distance more than any other course that the PGA Tour has played in I guess the last 5 years or so. So yeah, it just means when Bryson or when any player that goes to Bethpage Black, and if they hit it above average distances, instead of that advantage being worth, say, 0.4 strokes, at Bethpage, it might be worth 0.6 strokes or 0.7 strokes per round. So yeah, Bethpage is the most extreme in that regard. And it's also, yeah, pretty below average in how much it favors driving accuracy. The thing also to note with like obviously guys who hit it far there's almost there's partly a mechanical or partially a mechanical relationship between distance and accuracy like as you hit it further it's just harder to hit uh more fairways so there is a negative a strong negative correlation between those two so on our tool like Bryson like he hits it above average distances so we're getting he's getting a big bump for that but he also is less accurate than average so he's getting a and he's getting a bump for that as well at that stage because Essentially, you can read it as Beth Page penalized accuracy less than uh, the average coach, which is not a great way to think about it, maybe, because obviously there w- was a high penalty to miss fairways at Beth Page. But all the tool is saying is that the benefit of being a, a, a PGA Tour golfer who is 5% more accurate than average. Uh, that advantage was was lessened at Bethpage for whatever reason. We can we can speculate on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know I know you don't love speculating about this kind of stuff. I I might try to push you out of your comfort zone a few times. Uh, you know, part of what makes this this suggestion by the CourseFit tool about what skills Bethpage Black prioritizes, what what makes it compelling is that it, it's kind of counterintuitive. You know, you look at Bethpage as it was set up for the 2019 PGA championship and you see really high rough, you see really narrow fairways. And the, the assumption that most people would make is that that emphasizes accuracy. You have to hit the fairway or you're in trouble. But in fact, it seemed to be the opposite where uh, longer players had a distinct advantage. And obviously we can't draw Strong conclusions from one or two particular results, but it seemed like it really seemed like Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka were the only players who had any chance of winning that week and so is that something that caught your eye as well that that there was a kind of counterintuitive result from the course fit tool based on what you would assume out of a course that was set up the way Beth Page was well first,
1: I would say the results i think are this is definitely something that's extreme like there's certainly. A lot of signal there. There's no doubt that the I think probably there's three events in here maybe because there was the maybe yeah the two U.S. Opens and then Beth Page had a. Had That's a, right.
0: It's not not just the PGA Championship. Beth Page also had a Northern Trust or something. Yeah.
1: So there there is enough data to say to say things. uh And yeah, I think it was I think it was pretty surprising. Like generally, when you do things like this that are somewhat complicated statistically, you want like. 85% of your results to match up with intuition, so then you're like, okay, I'm not doing something completely insane here. And then you have 15, 15 or 20% where it's like, oh, that's like that's counterintuitive and interesting. So yeah, so Beth Page it does does go this way where, well, so just to bring up another example that didn't go this way, Firestone has Firestone Firestone is not Bethpage, Page, but it's a long course that has narrow fairways with reasonably long rough, and it has it favors distance, but it also favors accuracy, which is interesting. What that what that just to, to re- reiterate what I said earlier, like that means Firestone, it's above average in terms of how much it favors distance, holding accuracy constant. But then also uh, holding distance constant, constant, it's still important to hit fairways. There's an above average benefit at Firestone for that as well. So I bring that up just because that to me is like more, yeah, more intuitive. I would have thought Page would have been like that. So I don't know what's different about Bethpage. Maybe maybe because it was so it was so long. Like Page is. It was an extreme course, like it's longer than Firestone,
0: right um another thing to mention about Beth Page versus Firestone is that Beth Page has uh you know a lot more movement in its land and and the greens are are sort of substantially elevated. Which would seem to, you know, uh, give a reward to players who end up closer to the green after their first shot on a on a par four or a par five, because you have to get the ball all the way to the green. But I don't know, you know, there's more uh, ground contour at Firestone than people give it credit for, and I'm not sure you can exactly run shots up at Firestone necessarily. But there might be might be something there, and mean, I guess these are these are factors. This is where we get into speculation, right?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's important to keep in mind, like driving distance is not just when we're looking at a player who bombs it, it's true that he hits it further off the tee, but then it's also true that it's just a powerful player in general. So from the rough, he's hitting wedges and like, you can think about where driving distance as an at as a skill is going to be beneficial, not just on tee shots, but also on approach shots. So yeah, that's, and at Beth page, maybe that was playing a role
0: as well. Yeah, that's a great point. So. On the on the other end of the spectrum, we have this week's PGA Tour venue, El Camaleon Golf Club, host of the the Mayakoba Golf Classic. This is on the other end of the spectrum from Beth Page Black. Tell me about the craziness of the data that this course produces.
1: Not only is it the most extreme for and how much it rewards driving accuracy, it's also just of any attribute. Because again, on the default view on the course fit stuff, you can compare. Uh, across attributes. Like you can say if the further out a dot is, that means just in an absolute sense, that skill is getting rewarded more strokes gain than the other dots. So so driving accuracy at El Cameleon is actually rewarded as much as driving distances at Beth Page. And the reason it's not that's notable is because at the average course accuracy is rewarded less than and distance. So that means at El Chameleon it's more of an outlier even than Beth page. Yeah it's pretty crazy. And like I know when we looking at like our predictive model stuff. When we're actually calculating how much we're going to adjust players skill levels because that's how we actually put to use the course fit stuff we basically have a player's baseline and then we're going to say okay based off course fit we're going to move off of that baseline by whatever point two strokes or something at el Chameleon, there's adjustments that are like a stroke which is insane so we're moving a, a player's skill level a shot i mean that's like the most extreme guys but just for context that's the difference between like the 50th ranked player in the world in our rankings and like. Maybe the two hundredth or something like that. Like it's a huge. Like a sh- one shot around is obviously a massive difference. So for that to be driven by course fit is pretty crazy. So yeah, this this week's course is the biggest outlier.
0: It exerts a, a huge influence on on the results in a in a certain way. And I guess one one way to put it is that if you have a clear best player in the field, you know somebody whose past performance is really really awesome, a lot better than everybody else in the field, going into the Mayakoba Golf Classic they are a little bit less likely to win there than than usual would that be fair to say
1: it would be fair to say as long as they possess the typical top ranked player skill set if brendan todd ever ascends to be the the best player in the world then he we might actually predict him to be better (laughs) but in general in general yeah your statement is true like this week the skill distribution is going to be compressed just because it tends to be the case that the, the best players uh do hit it far and so the best players on average will be getting a, a negative bump this week and worst players on average will be getting a positive. Yeah. bringing everybody together.
0: So so I guess a way to put it is if Rory were playing the, uh, this week, then y- you would give him less of a positive, positive adjustment than usual. You would, you would be less strong on the idea that he might win than you usually would be at the, at the average PGA tour venue.
1: That's the right way to say it. Yeah. I, I would probably say relative to his baseline, I like guess, average skill level we're giving him a negative bump but what you're saying makes like makes sense too it's we're still we still like rory we just like him less than normal
0: he's right? still going to be good it's not like he's exactly. all of a sudden you know yeah the worst player in the field or something yeah. um yeah i mean i find that interesting Th- does that mean does that mean that there's just that randomness kind of plays more of a role at a venue like this week's i, don't,
1: I wouldn't say i wouldn't say that there are some courses where that does seem to be true but i think it's just the issue is just when, I, when we say high skill here, what we mean, like high skill on the PJ Tour these days, that generally means you hit it far, just because that's the way that skills are rewarded. So when you go to El Chameleon, it's true that higher-skilled players are getting a negative bump, but it's it's not necessarily due to randomness. It's just because driving accuracy is now way more important, because if you miss a fairway at that course, you're you're generally taking a drop. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's randomness. I would say it's, it's a different skill set that's been tested, and so that brings... The skill distribution relative to like the typical tour event closer together.
0: You you mentioned what I think is one of the key factors here, and that's that if you miss a fairway at this course, then you're basically in the bush. Like it's a lost ball. Um and so there's a really heavy penalty for missing fairways. But at the same time, you know, I I think sometimes people get confused here because then they say, well, doesn't that mean that Penal setups where there's where there's a clear kind of immediate penalty for missing a fairway. Doesn't that mean that those would favor accuracy above all else? But of course, we just talked about Beth Page, where there was a real penalty for for missing a fairway, but distance uh, tended to be uh, more predictive there. And so, how how would you reconcile those two? Is it because they're like different levels of penalty, right? That uh, you know, that the taking a drop is is a lot different from hitting it out of the rough.
1: It could be that. It could just be a matter of degree. Although I think it's more than that. I think it's, I mean, maybe it's also has to do with the fact that at page, maybe it didn't matter so much if you were five yards off the fairway or if you were 20 yards off. I don't even, I don't know if that statement is true. It still matters a bit, but at El Leo maybe it matters a bit more like the fact that you're two yards off the fairway. I mean, I don't know how many yards you have to, to deal with there two yards or three yards. And then you're in the junk. Maybe that that's part of it. Also part of it could be what we were saying earlier, where at Bethpage, when you miss a fairway, you are hacking it out of deep rough where bombers still have an advantage where, whereas at El Camillion, you're, you're just dropping it in pretty light rough. I don't, there's not thick rough at this course. So maybe that advantage is gone for distance, but a lot of it's got to just be the fact that this week's course is shorter.
0: Yeah. I mean, the causes are really hard to identify, but you know, I want to expand this out a little bit, Matt, um, that, El Camaleon is, is part of a set of courses on the PGA tour that I've kind of discovered through the course fit tool on your website that I like to call the web tour <laughs> web with two B's, you know, they're, they're just courses where web Simpson seems to, <laughs> seems to perform particularly well and, and players of web Simpson's ilk, as in, you know, really good in every skill, except for driving distance. You may also say that Brendan Todd is, is kind of along this model as well, at least within the past year and a half or so. Um. So in addition to El Camaleon, you have, Harbor Town Golf links, you have uh YLI country club, you have TPC Sawgrass, you have Colonial, and then maybe to a slightly lesser degree, you have Sedgefield, uh Innisbrook Copperhead, the the site of the Valspar Championship. sedgefield is the site of the the Wyndham Championship. To an extent, Sea Island, which was was last week's venue for the RSM Classic, maybe Sherwood, one one one-time host of the Zozo this year maybe Muirfield Village. I mean, those kind of got less and less a part of the web tour as I went along, but especially that kind of top group of courses, Town, YLI, TPC Sawgrass, Colonial, El Camaleon. At all of these courses, you see an unusual emphasis on driving accuracy and an unusual de-emphasis on driving distance, as in the skill of driving distance, is less predictive of success at these courses than average on the PGA Tour, and the skill of driving accuracy tends to be more predictive. El Camaleon is just the the most extreme example of this. But have you noticed the the Web Tour before? Have you noticed this class of courses on the PGA Tour? And and if so, what do you what do you make of it?
1: I'm not going to say I would have like across this cluster of courses before looking at before doing this analysis. Although at the same time I think it does it does make sense. Like I think most of these courses are are shorter and I mean they're also they're also different. Like a few of them I think of Sedgefield and East Lake is also one that rewards accuracy more like those are pretty like East Lake has pretty brutal rough Sedgefield I'm not sure exactly why it favors it's just it's a shorter course. Rough pretty tough there. But I mean again but as we said with Beth page it's not necessarily a simple relationship like thicker rough does not necessarily mean it favors favors accuracy although i do think the combination of thick rough with a shorter course maybe does it might just be the interaction of really thick rough with a really long course that gets you that effect where it favors distance but not accuracy yeah and, and Town i think is just a course where it just takes driver out of your hands on a lot of holes which which is is fine i mean i think it's honestly what i thought after the when golf came back after the three-month covid break and bryson was was doing his thing and getting all that attention like I was kind of struck by how many courses it seemed like the first UET was playing, he was playing golf courses that didn't really favor bombers that much. Like I was sort of struck by it. I was thinking, yeah, like obviously we all know distant, like the best players in the game, bomb it. And it's clearly a huge advantage, but there are still courses on the PGA tour, like, like the travelers, river Highlands, that it's not that it's still, an, it's always an advantage to hit it far, but they are, there are courses on tour that yeah, favor, favor accuracy still. So that I remember being struck by that when the golf came back.
0: Yeah. And, and, Detroit Golf Club, where Bryson won, is not a course that necessarily strongly prefers distance, in in the way that we see a lot of PGA Tour courses do. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, according to our tool, that's true. I, I feel like I've heard people say. I heard. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who I should trust. I guess I've heard people say, <laughs> like, I think I've heard people say before that event, like, oh, Bryson's gonna make a mockery of this of this layout. Um, and I don't think I watched a shot at that event, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: wasn't all that really most comment. exciting thing that happened was Bryson yelling at a cameraman but i, I think what people were saying is that he's gonna bomb it past the fairway bunkers that were put in during the the renovation that were put out there to kind of like you know uh give give tour players something to think about, and he just was longer than them. I don't know i mean there's there's a lot of these factors that tend to uh come into play at these courses, and obviously a player like Bryson can do well anywhere you know he's he's got other skills, but um you mentioned some of the characteristics that these courses have in common, these courses that actually succeed in prioritizing driving accuracy. And and that's something that so many people are interested in seeing come back to the PGA tour in a bigger way. Uh, you know, more of an emphasis on driving accuracy. They're They're trying to figure out how in the heck do we do this? Do we roll back equipment? Do we do things to courses? But it seems to me that this set of courses gives a pretty good example of, of how to do that but it doesn't necessarily explain why these courses behave in this way you know super clearly but one thing that i see in common is just course length a lot of these are shorter courses so so do you think that's like a a strong factor
1: yeah a lot of times you have we can we can we can come up with these more complex theories about how courses will favor certain skill sets but yeah it, often those things are hard to like tease out of the data but yeah something like course length i think it's pretty clear in the data that longer courses Shocking me, yeah. Favor, <laughs> favor driving distance. And and yeah, these shorter courses. I mean, I don't know that people would be particularly happy with this set of courses being that. like if, if this if this is the template that it's like, oh yeah, these are you want this these skills to be rewarded in this way, like okay, TPC Sawgrass, that's your course. It's like I don't know if people, 'cause cause Sawgrass is sort of a some of these courses I think of as kind of yeah, random or not not rewarding skill that much, but that might also be like a bias because we're used to seeing we're just not like Rory won't play as well at that course. And we're used to thinking of Rory as the best player in the world. So you have to like, maybe it come to terms with the reason Rory's the best player in the world is because he, his language has an advantage. Um, but the one course, and I'm surprised the Friday I'm sure the Friday I did write some articles about it. The the course a few weeks back where it was short and it was, it played incredibly tough. Uh, the, the Houston open. the
0: Sure. Memorial park.
1: Yeah, Memorial park. Yeah.
0: I'll be, I'll be fascinated to see uh, how that comes out.
1: That wasn't particularly penal off the tee, right? That was just, it was around the greens that were giving people a lot of trouble.
0: Very much around the greens. Yeah, I mean, I think that the more tournaments that are played there, the better of an idea we're going to get for it. But uh, certainly, you know, since the greens were fairly new, they were quite firm. And so I'm not sure if in future years, it'll be the same kind of dynamic. And, you know, there are some pros who are frustrated (laughs) by it. So that might play into uh, future setups there as well. But I think it is a good example of how you know narrow courses with with clear penalties off the tee are not necessarily the only solution. And I think you know YLI probably demonstrates that as well. I don't think of Wailea as being particularly penal off the tee. It, it you know there are some palm trees out there, but it, it's it's fairly wide open. Other than that, it's just a shorter course.
1: Yeah, YLI is an interesting example, though, where it, if you look at its diagram on the uh, course fit page, it sort of is compressed in every respect. So it, doesn't, it rewards driving distance less and driving accuracy less. Oh.
0: Okay. And then also
1: slightly approach, which, I mean, again, it's hard to say exactly what that means. But in theory, that might not be a great thing because it means that you're not rewarding skill as much at Wyalai as another course. But, again, that's only, like, part of the equation, I think, when we – because, like, realistically, if you wanted to reward skill as much as possible in the PGA Tour, you probably would want a course where, where greens are super soft and it's just target golf because, yeah, it does take, like when there's no randomness in the sense that there's no bounces uh, that can make a bad shot or a good shot turn into a bad shot, then, yeah, like a, a soft course like that probably does reward skill the most. But as viewers, like nobody wants to watch that. So there's other, there's other considerations. And so I think, yeah, while I, it does level the playing field, it does seem like there's some element of randomness there, but like that could be fine. Depends on what your preferences are.
0: That's maybe not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, there's an assumption that what we really want uh, are courses that reward skill in a clear way. But I think that once we take that to the logical extreme, what's the course that rewards skill the most, that we might not like what's on the other side of that door.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe that brings us to like, Top golf and you just get two or <laughs> pros hitting shots into baskets, and that's that's the most that's the most skilled thing for rewarding right. approach shots.
0: So. The most reliable test of skill. Yeah, totally. There's all the other factors have have kind of been leveled. Um so you know, speaking of courses that that seem to have high variance, I, is another way to, to put what we're talking about. Uh you did a really good deep dive earlier this year, I believe, on T P C sawgrass. Tell me about what you found there what what are some of your thoughts about tpc sawgrass as a course that you know tests certain skills or doesn't test certain skills from pga tour players
1: yeah sawgrass is a course that rewards accuracy more so than compared to the other four attributes i think you know the other thing about sawgrass is and this isn't really reflected in the course fit tool is that like at sawgrass not only is it the case that if you're one shot better than the average player uh, at the average PJ tour course. When you go to sawgrass, you're only gonna be 0. 0.7 or 0. 0.8 shots better. So it's it is uh, reducing the advantage that skilled players have. And then it's also it's also adding in variance in the sense that Sawgrass is just a course where if the same player plays there a hundred times, the variance in their scores, so they're gonna average 70, let's say, but they're gonna sometimes shoot 75, sometimes shoot 65, that variance is higher at sawgrass as well. And that's sort of a that's a separate thing. To relate this to YLI, YLI is actually a course where even though that skill advantage gets reduced it's it's a low variance course so if the same player plays there a bunch it's going to be a tighter bound around their average score Mm. it's kind of a tricky thing to think through but the the upshot for sawgrass is that yeah it's a it's a very random course it does i think it does reward accuracy more than average but that's about it and it it also has this added element of just variance which i think everybody who watches it would you agree with that like there's there are there is potential for big numbers in that course and there is more randomness in that respect so it's yeah the the takeaway with sawgrass is that it's just not only is performance unpredictable there's also just more variance in general and so
0: yeah i wonder why that and and this is getting into the architecture questions that um you know data is not necessarily gonna um tell us clear answers on but i i wonder why that what design characteristics of tpc sawgrass are at play here could it be the really severe penalties at at certain places in the course could it be the tininess of the targets on the greens do you, do you think these things could have a have an influence i mean not 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 just the greens themselves but like the sections of the greens where pins might be are super super small
1: i think that's it i think so yeah i think you can have variance and variance can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing if you have at saga it's like if you have uh, a shot that if it misses if a player misses his spot by two yards it ends up rolling down a hill and it's super penalizing Compared to a course that's soft, you miss your spot by two yards. You just have a, a putt that's two yards longer. It's not a big deal. So that can that can certainly add variance, and that would probably be considered good variance because it's it's making the the margin between a good shot and or a marginal shot and a good shot is is now that that's creating a bigger difference in scores, which is probably what we want. And yeah, I think sawgrass does that to some degree. Obviously, 17 is like a good example of probably. Variance you might not want. It, it's hard to say. Like, if somebody's playing really well and then goes to 17 and makes a, a seven, their tournament is all but over because of that. And that's sort of that that is another big source of variance.
0: Yeah. Shout out Sergio.
1: Yeah. And in, in general, I think it's just because Sawgrass is. Sawgrass generally plays super firm, too. And like, there's. I, speaking of Sergio, there was that year where he like eight putted hole, hole eight, the par three. <laughs> and like, you just. That's probably bad variance. I think we would agree that that's bad range. The Greens were just. They sort of maybe put them over the edge, and I, I, when I think of sawgrass, I just think of it might not necessarily be rewarding skill as much as we'd like, but it's or maybe it is. It's hard to say, but it's very entertaining golf to watch. I think.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I think it's good to be clear that you know when we're asking questions about how PGA Tour venues can reward or not reward different skills, and talk about the kind of variety that we might want to see in PGA Tour venues. That's not necessarily a commentary about good architecture. The question of what makes good architecture and what makes a PGA tour venue that should be part of the rotation, those are two separate questions, right? Um, And I think that finding that balance between good architecture for the masses and something compelling to watch in a PGA tour event uh, that's really something that these courses have to think about, right? Because they're they're just hosting a PGA Tour event one week of the year. The rest of the the rest of the year they're you know open to the membership or open to the public. Um, but personally, you know what what I really want to see, you know I I, I love uh, you know these questions about good architecture. I'm I'm very interested in. And, and I think that's the highest priority for a golf course, but I'm also some I'm also a PGA tour fan and I want to see as much variety in these venues as possible. I want to see, you know, many different types of courses that test different skills. And that's why I get excited when I see a course like Harbor town, because it's just not the usual PGA tour venue. I mean, you're, you're a golf fan. Do you, do you kind of feel the same way?
1: Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I feel the same way. I, yeah, I think there's a clear trade-off to be made between setting up a course to reward skill and setting up a course to, maybe not a clear trade-off, but there is a trade-off between rewarding skill and making the golf entertaining to watch. Like, I I really can't watch the PGA Tour play, when they play a course where it's soft and it's a birdie fest, it's just very uninteresting to watch for me. Like, I don't necessarily appreciate architecture per se, but I, I mean, I like watching golfers play firm golf courses just because it's tough. It's just testing players. I like seeing... I like, I like seeing courses where there's like penalties off the tee, just because I think, especially down the stretch, like just from my own experiences playing golf, I like seeing, it's compelling to watch players try and perform under the gun and hitting a, hitting a good drive under pressure is, I think one of the harder things to do in golf. So, I mean, that to me is, is interesting. um But yeah, in general variety, I think is, you need it on the PGA tour. Like I don't, and I think, unfortunately, it'd be one thing if there was no variety, but they had settled on, firm golf courses as the, uh, the thing they're going to focus on, but they've settled on, on softer birdie fest, at least for non-majors and non, well, pretty much just non-majors. And yeah, I think that's pretty uninteresting golf for a lot of fans.
0: And, and it, and it changes the complexion of the top, the the set of top players in the world, because presumably if there were more courses on the PGA tour that had some of these web tour characteristics that we've been talking about web with two B's, there would be different players in in the top ten. I mean, it would just be the the skill set of the top players in the world m- might be a little more varied.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it would be more varied. Uh, but then, and then at some point, we're just going to get to like the subjective question of how much which skill should be rewarded. Because I still like Dustin Johnson be able to hit the ball as far as he does is an, obviously an incredible skill that should be rewarded. And then the question is just how much. Because uh, yeah, Webb's also skilled in various ways. So it's it's a tough it, it's a fine line sort of you have to figure out what exactly your priorities are, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And and DJ it should be said as well as Rory have significant skills across the board. Um whereas somebody like Webb, you know, you could say that he just doesn't really have the skill of of driving distance at an elite level. And and so and and he gets docked for that and and some might say that that's exactly right you know so somebody like DJ his balanced game which includes that extraordinary ability with the driver is is certainly well rewarded and 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 should be I think that's a good place to to wrap up our discussion of course fit um, you also I should mention did a deep dive into Augusta National um recently for your website before the masters and we're not going to go into that in depth but i just wanted to mention it and just recommend that people go and check that out because i think it's absolutely fascinating uh so so there's just something that that people can check out that we we won't discuss here that's a reason to to go to datagolf.com and and do some reading um so i just wanted to to wrap up with with a few random questions these don't need to be long in-depth answers but a few points of curiosity outside of this course fit discussion that we've been having. So kind of a lightning round, um, when a player is having a breakout season, are there any key characteristics that you see like things that change in their game?
1: Generally, if, if a player is, is playing well recently, and I, all I know is that they're playing well, I haven't looked at deeper into the data. It's probably due to the putting or around the green stuff, just because that's the stuff that, that varies a lot round around. round. Um, but if they're truly having a breakout season one where our model is actually going to say, okay, this guy's being elevated to a new level. I mean, I think it's usually, it's usually driven by either off the tee stuff or approach stuff. Yeah. The easiest way is like for telly, like somebody who's just gained 10 yards and that, that matters. That's an easy way to do it.
0: Uh, who is the best player on the PGA tour without a major? Uh, and why is it John Rom?
1: Oh, right. I forgot
0: Rom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Obviously it's
1: Rom. Yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously it's Rom. Yeah, I guess I was thinking, do I want to say who's like who deserves one at this point? And who, I was not older, not like the guys. best
0: career, not the best career. Okay, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but like more, you know, who is currently, you know, based on their recent performance, would would it clearly be Rom? I mean, I don't know. Is that the clear answer to the question?
1: I mean, yeah. To me, as someone who's looking at, I don't really think of players who perform well in majors versus those who don't. I just think of golfers who are good versus golfers who are not. So I'm obviously Rom has not. Had that many chances to win majors, or maybe any good chances. But he's Rom has. We've been saying Rom Rom has been underrated. He's probably not underrated anymore, given that he's like the number two or three player in the world. But he's just he started his career as close to Tiger in the last twenty years as anybody else has in terms of just strokes gained and number of top fives. And he just didn't have a transition period. He just came came out on the PGA Tour and was already uh playing like a top five player in the world. So he's going to get a major soon.
0: Yeah, this game's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it can't it can't be long. Um, people are very high right now in Dustin Johnson's ability to win multiple additional majors. Uh, what would you say to that, all, all that excitement?
1: Yeah, I would say the best player in the world has maybe, you don't even have to trust us. You can trust betting markets, trust anything. They have about a 9 or 10% chance, if they're clearly the best player in the world, a 9 or 10% chance to win a major. So that means if a guy plays, if DJ plays 10 majors and he's aging, that means we'd expect him to win one. So still, it's like, you can't assign majors to too many golfers because there's only four of them each year. So it's, uh, it's always unlikely to win majors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there would be a good hobby in listening to golf podcasts and, and tabulating the amount of future majors that that are given out. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. We'd be in the thousands. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so you know, you're on golf Twitter on occasion, so I'm sure you've seen how people use statistics to try to win arguments. What is the most common mistake that you see when people use stats in this way?
1: I think the biggest one is confusing correlation with causation. I have an economics background, so that's, I am very sensitive to correlation versus causation. And I mean, a good example I saw at Augusta, somebody posted just on number three, the scoring average for players who had hit it more than 300 yards on the hole versus the scoring average for players who had hit it less than 240 and the conclusion they were trying to say was, oh, look, you should be hitting driver here to go for the green, because the scoring average is better for the guys who hit it further. But that's, that's flawed for many reasons. And the biggest one is that the guys who were hitting at 240 on that hole were like Larry Mize, Sandy Lyle, among others. And the guys who were hitting at 300 were like Bryce and Rory, the best players in the world. So that's correlation versus causation, because you're picking up, we want to know the causal effect of hitting driver on that hole versus not hitting driver. But when you do that analysis, you're picking up all sorts of things, like the fact that Rory is just a better golfer in every way than than mine so you're yeah that's in general twitter is not a good space for statistical arguments
0: you're you're comparing Rory McIlroy to a retired golf pro yeah yeah which, which which is meaningless yeah yeah um all right so you know this is maybe a big question but i i'm just curious like when you're looking at the future of data golf and and what kinds of new questions you want to answer what do you think the new frontiers are in golf stats? What do you think the questions are that that we haven't answered yet and, and maybe we could find methods to answer them?
1: Yeah, I think I actually have a good answer because we're, hopefully for next year, we're going to be, we're going to have official access to shot link data. We're at like the actual shot level stuff or sort of, because right now, everything on our site is just round level stuff just because you're not allowed to, without an official license, you can't display shot link data. So if that hurdle is passed, I think, yeah, I think the next step for, golf analysis is just building on Brody's stuff with strokes gained and trying to, if we really trying to basically, because right now on the PJ tour, the way strokes gain is calculated is just, you have a generic baseline function that says from this distance and this lie, we expect the tour player to take this many shots. And then you get strokes gained from that. What we would like to do is have a model that, and it would be difficult, but it would have a different baseline function for every hole. So like maybe there's a hole where going, this would be very, subtle and potentially not possible and maybe there's a hole where when you're 200 yards out in the right side of the fairway that's actually significantly worse than being 200 yards out in the left side of the fairway and right now with strokes gained that's treated the same but if you had again it would be difficult but you you could in theory be able to say no i guess from this angle or from this spot players take whatever 3.4 shots to get down from this spot it's 3.1 and i think once you have that whole specific baseline function there's all sorts of things the course your your assessment of course fit could totally change. Uh, you could drill down to a whole level. Uh, you could say, yeah, you could say a lot of, a lot of interesting things. So I think that's sort of the next direction that then that has implications for prediction in golf and for, yeah, for, for a lot of things. So I think that's the next frontier. All
0: right. Well, um, Matt, good luck with your, with your future work and thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. Enjoyed it.